All right. Thank you, Brother Steve. I appreciate that. And the hands of Jesus, I tell you, that is good. I appreciate that so very much. Nailed for us. Our text is Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 with our emphasis on verse 9. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and I'm preaching a sermon I've titled tonight, Be Part of the Remnant, and I appreciate the choir special tonight because it really uh, fits in with some of these things here, and and it's the idea that we just need to be committed to Christ totally, Not, not uh, not to religion, not to those things that are the latest, no, we are committed to Jesus Christ and His Word, and that's so important. So as we look here, let's look in Isaiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, For the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. You notice what God said there? The children had rebelled against him, he had nourished them, he had brought them up, and they rebelled against him. Now, there's a lot of religious psychology out there today, and this is not part of the sermon, but I just thought I'd put it in there. There's a lot of religious psychology out there to say, if you raise them right, they would go right. Well, then God must have done them messed up job on those that rebelled against him that it says that he raised up and nourished. Now, uh, you've got to be, uh, have some good old common sense. And of course, if you believe in a free will, which the Bible teaches, uh, if you reject what the Bible teaches on free will, then you'll also reject what I just said. But if there's a free will, then that child can follow or they can reject. Ours is to teach it. Ours is to teach it, just like God teaches his children. But he goes on to say here, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know my people. My my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Now, here's our emphasis for tonight. Except the Lord of hosts 
had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Now shall we pray. Father, help us, Lord, to preach your word and to rightly divide it, to speak as thus saith the Lord and as thus saith the Lord only, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. People today in this uh, Calvinistic world speak of the remnant as a privileged group. For some reason, God is preserving them that he has chosen, but he has hated the majority of mankind. And of course, that is a process of pride. It deceives the ones who are filled with, Uh, with that doctrine. It deceives them and it gives them pride in believing into their own man-made philosophies of religion, especially if there are some intellectual sounding theories and words that are added to it. Now, that's not new. The rabbis did that actually in Israel and said, we're the only people. They are God's chosen people, but they were chosen, Exodus 9, 6, as a nation of priests. They were to take the gospel to the world, speak to the world for God, and talk to God for the world. That's what priests do. They failed. They said, oh, we're elected and you're not, ha, ha. Then later, we see that Augustine, the Catholic Pope, he also took this up, but now you had to be a Catholic. And you were elected if you were baptized as a baby into their church. And now, Calvin, during the Reformation, but I think it's more of a dark age, there were certain ones that follow his teachings, that they were the elect, the others were not. But I still believe Jesus when he said, Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. I still believe that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I still believe 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, that the fact is that, that God would have all men to be saved, all men, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, folks, how many times does the Lord have to say whosoever for it to be true? And why would we ever question when he says at one time? He's God. He's the Lord God. Now, as we study... The Hebrew word that is translated remnant here, it actually, from what I have been able to study and find, it's defined as that which has survived a judgment of God when most others have died. That's what a remnant is in this situation. I was writing some notes, and I'm going to read these to you because at this age I can't remember like I used to, okay? But it says, I wrote these things down here recently. I believe that all we have in America with the multitude of so-called Christians who've turned to the contemporary and emerging church has left but a small remnant 
of those who are true to the word of God. So often I have found that preaching the truth has led uh, to people realizing they're not fundamental. Now, they may be conservative in morals and other things, but they're not fundamental. And the Bible is not the constitution for daily living. We don't have a promise as Israel had to be preserved. So in America, we must be about the Father's business. America is a cesspool, and that's saying it kindly. Nudity is everywhere. Pornography for teenagers, let alone adults, I am told is free on the Internet. Marriage is a travesty. Easy divorce and homosexual marriage. Murder by abortion and death panels. Now, I know that there are those who do not agree with that biblical preaching, but I will never apologize for the truth. Crime and violence as the days of Noah when there was such lawlessness. The nation's courts have not governed by the constitutional rule of law, but rather by a political whatever. Isn't that interesting? There are people conservative that think stick to the Constitution in law, but they don't want to stick to the Bible when the Bible is the greater document. The most immoral people of Hollywood have set the standards of life and normalcy which are totally depraved. Politicians and government have so betrayed us that no one can be trusted. Churches have turned into rock concerts and dens of iniquity. Worship, that is true worship, is reverential and respectful of the high and holy God. We're reminded of the one who, in Matthew 22, did not have on a wedding garment. And he was cast out. Today they're changing Bibles to fit their their fancy. Dressed as if they were going to a racy nightclub Instead of the holy house of God. The public schools. The dress standard is a sham. It's so indecent. Gang violence. Drugs. Alcohol. Filthy mouths. What you're reading at the head of newspapers. And on the bathroom walls. Or should I say in the introduction into the news. Uh, on your evening newscast. Those words were usually only written on the bathroom walls of truck stops. And now it's just right out there. They said, don't spank your children. And so we've raised a generation of lawless, untrained children with no standards. In a day when so many are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and screaming for their rights, let's pray that God doesn't give us our rights. If he gives us our rights, we're in big trouble. If he gives us what we deserve, watch out. Now, I want us to look at some Bible remnants. I'm going to look at three of them this evening and and just see the hand of God in those. First, there was the day of Elijah. He is overcome with pity, self-pity, and fear. He's just called down the fire from heaven that devoured the altar. He said, boy, that's a great victory. But right after that, Jezebel's going to kill him. He takes off running. 
He runs forever, it seems like, and he finally ends up in a cave, hidden. And so we take up the narrative in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 13. He says, And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. And they've thrown down the altars, and they've slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, Elijah really thought that he was the only guy. He thought that was it. And what am I doing living here? This this is no good. He didn't want to betray his God, but he didn't want to live in that kind of a way. He asked the Lord to take him. And so the Lord starts talking to him. And in verse 18, he says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. Now, that's usually, that's supposed to be Baal, but we'll say Baal because that's what everybody says. it. But it's not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. 7,000 had not bowed the knee. Uh, But where were the 7,000 during the three and a half years that Elijah had to flee for his life? Where were the 7,000 when he was standing and preaching and warning the people? They were faithful not to uh, bow the knee to Baal. They were faithful not to kiss the image of Baal, just like some religious people today put a ring on a man's toe, and they bow down and kiss it, which comes out of paganism. And that was also wrong then, and it's still wrong today. The ten tribes will go into captivity. And by the way, the ten tribes are not lost. They are scattered, the Bible tells us. God knows where every one of them are. They're scattered, but they, we see some of them are coming back into the land today, but they're not all there. You see, they won't all be there until Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation and gathers them all together. Then they will be there. Their seed is preserved in each of the ten tribes. Yet most of the family in those tribes don't even have a seed anymore. Yes, their tribe is preserved, but there are a few left. When violence and corrupted morals as that of Sodom and Sodomy were accepted and given a marriage license, then a country attacks the people who are true to the Lord and His Word. God is long-suffering, but... He will judge. And they're removing the Bible. They've been removing the Bible. They started with removing it from the churches, uh, from the schools. Many of those that are my age grew up in school where you not only had the Bible read, you had prayer, and sometimes you even had preachers come by and speak in public school. Now you can only say Jesus' name in a public school if you're cussing. What a shame. What a shame. Our text speaks of Israel. 
and the remnant to be left. That's the next thing I want to look at. And whereas Elijah in Ahab's rule uh, just really got discouraged. But the Lord had preserved a remnant. We see the same in Isaiah. Isaiah is around 700 B.C. And he will know the righteous king Hezekiah. But you'll notice the breakdown of our text. In verses 2 through 8. In verse 2. He said, God blessed Israel. He'd given their, their land when they were the least of all people. And he gave it to them. He met their needs. He protected them. In verses 3 through 5, he tells them their sin. He calls them sinful nation, full of iniquity. That means they are depraved and perverse in all their ways. He called them evildoers, which means taking all that is moral and ethical and good and breaking them with all the laws of God. So much so that not only forsaken God, they have provoked him. He says, your whole head is sick. Means they're demented. (laughs) Looney tunes. Yet, They continue in it, he tells. Verse 7, he says, you've got foreigners coming in taking your land. And and, and many people today are concerned about, what, unregistered people? Look, we're not against people coming here doing it right. But you've got multitudes now coming in unlawfully. Gangs. Threats. And what have you. That's wrong. It was wrong in the Bible. It's wrong today. It's evil. It's evil. In verses 2 through 8, they had, uh, verse 6 through 8, should I say, they looked at all the defeats and the losses. They were losing their health. They were losing their family. They were losing the possessions. You're losing it all. And yet you continue in your sinful pleasure and lust. You've corrupted the worship in my name. And as many as are losing their families today that won't stand because they want to keep peace in the home. These losing all except for a faithful remnant shows the stupidity of such a decision. Keeping peace for the present and your children in hell is not a good thing. In verse 9, God says, you deserve total destruction as Sodom had. You remember Lot was there? The Bible calls him a righteous man, actually. Said that he was a righteous man. That simply means that he did not do their evil. He vexed his righteous soul every day with their sin. But he was one of those that did not bow the knee. He was one of those that stayed true to the Lord. But they also, he also did not stand and tell the world of salvation And live according to the holiness of God. Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared 
if he would have just reached 10 people. And he almost had enough in his entire family to do that. Lot did not get his own family saved. When the angels come and say, we're going to destroy it. He goes after his family and because he had not stood, he seemed to them as one that mocked. We've seen your life. We've seen how you've accepted this way. We see it. He may have kept quiet to keep the peace. But ever since Genesis 19, he has children in hell that are probably cursing his name. The third example is found in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 38. This is Jesus speaking. He has come. He's, he's tried to reach Jerusalem and Israel, and they've rejected him. And so he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest them which are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. And ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Christ came. He was calling them to repent and believe. He said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But they did not receive it. You see, there was rabbinical writings. You know, it's interesting I'll have sermons from time to time that are on the radio that, that go about what Calvinism is and what it teaches and so forth. You know what? The number one thing they write back and say, you need to read this book. You need to read that book. Well, Spurgeon was a Calvinist. Yeah, but he believed in going out and winning every soul that he could. But they, and, and he didn't hold to it like they hold to it today, by the way, just so you know that. But it's still wrong for even Spurgeon to hold to Calvinism. In any way. He said, I'm a Calvinist in my mind, but in my heart, I'm an Arminian. We're not either one. Okay. We still believe in whosoever will, but we don't believe that whosoever will, once God saves you, he saves you. We don't believe in the perseverance of the saints because we can't persevere and stay saved. The Lord keeps us saved. Okay. We belong to Jesus. But nonetheless, the Lord said that he would preserve a remnant. And they, in that day, in Jesus' day, they had all these rabbinical writings. Well, you need to read these rabbinical writings. And the Lord just quoted to them the Bible. Those Old Testament scriptures. He just preached the scriptures. So if people want to quote this guy and that guy and this Calvinist and that Calvinist, they can, but I'm going to quote Jesus. Quote his word. Let his word speak for itself. Well, what happened with Israel by following that way? Well, they adopted those writings and it turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and they added traditions and they amended the Ten Commandments and the result is they were from A.D. 70 until 1948 desolate, desolate for over 1,900 years. But God preserved a remnant. And they're back in that land today. But let me warn you. They're back in unbelief of who the true Messiah is, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's why when we get raptured out of here, there'll be following that time. Sometime it'll start with the committing of a covenant with Israel by the Antichrist that they won't know is the Antichrist at the time. As a matter of fact, I even believe the Antichrist is a Jew, but that's another sermon. But nonetheless, the Antichrist will do that. Seven years of tribulation like this world has ever known. I mean, there's nothing ever been like that. Then Jesus comes back and he sets up a righteous kingdom for 1,000 years. But now what should we learn about this? Here are three examples from the Bible, two of them from the Old Testament. And really, when Jesus was saying that, that was still under the law before his death, burial, and resurrection. So what do we learn from that in this New Testament church age? Well, we must make sure we don't end up the same way. I want the scriptures just to speak for themselves. Okay? Not my writings. Not anyone else's writings. The word of God. Let it speak for itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 6 through 11 He says, now these things were our, our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, he said, these were far examples. Now, listen to the last verse there, verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now, you think about that. People say, well, the Old Testament doesn't apply today. The Bible just said it does. He says, we need to learn from it. Don't make the same errors. First Peter, uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begin first at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? For if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? How about Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1? This is talking about new, the, the, the church age Uh, that we're living in. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. What does he mean, livest and art dead? They had a name. They, They were the living church. Man, everybody wanted to go there. Man, they're the with it church. Man, that's the live church. That's it, boy. That's where you want to go. They're on fire. They're, they're alive. Lord looked at him and said, you're dead as a door now. You see, what the world calls alive is not what God calls alive. He says, you have a name, but you're dead. 
as Israel of old. They were separated from God by their corrupt lives and their corrupt worship. They turned God's grace into lasciviousness. And yet, they were worshiping in the temple. They had their synagogues and they were still worshiping in God's name. But God hated it every bit. Remember, a remnant are those who survived the judgment of God on a nation or on a place. How can we be a remnant in this day who is victorious? And I want us to look at three steps here real quickly. First of all, God's word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 138.2 I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now to be a lamp and to our feet, it shows us ourself. You look in a mirror, you do something about it, okay? A, a mirror shows us ourself. The word of God is a lamp. It's to show us ourself. It's a light into our path. It shows us the direction that we are to go. But it's only that if we do what it says. The word of God is a lamp and a light, but it may not be a lamp and light for you because you don't obey it, not because it's not a lamp and a light. And so you have to see yourself in the light of God's word. And by the way, God is light. What does that mean? The light that he shows you will always be holy, not fleshly and of the world. It'll always be holy or it's not him. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Be it in holiness, whether it's in soul warning, whether it's in faithfulness to the church, tithing, or what have you, your personal life. Is it only moral and ethical? But that, that's all? You know, our life is to be guided by the Word of God. And if you're guided by the Word of God, you'll be moral and ethical automatically. But not only do we have God's word, we need to go by God's joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What happened to uh, Elijah? He got his eyes on Jezebel and everybody else. I'm the only guy. And he's there with self-pity. He has no joy. Our joy is in the Lord. The Lord, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't like all that, went hap that happened at the cross. No, he didn't enjoy that, but it didn't rob him of his joy. He had his heart set on eternity. He had his heart knowing that he was going to save multitudes of souls down over these next couple thousand years, and he's done that, and he was looking for it, and it filled his heart with joy. It should fill our heart with joy. If we're obedient, even if everybody opposes us, they lie about you. As a matter of fact, the Lord said in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, to rejoice. Rejoice. When all men speak against you, say all matter of evil against you falsely. For Christ's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad because great is your reward in heaven. So you stick with the word. I, I was telling our deacons not too, too long ago, I just said, you know, one of the greatest compliments I get 
is when people say he just defends himself, defends himself preaching the word. I like that. If I preach the word and rightly divide it, and it defends me because I, I can't defend myself, but if the word rightly uh, preached, it defends me, then hey, look, I am happy about that. I'm rejoicing, and they have complimented me. But I've got to stick to the word. You see, I've got to stick to the word. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You can keep going against all the opposition when you're looking into the joy for, uh, to the Lord for your joy and fulfillment. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not the circumstances. That's the way to go. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Get to know his person. You get to know his person through his word. You get to know who he is through his word. Stay in his word. A third thing I want you to share with you is have a godly schedule. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, he says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Boy, he didn't get in on those guys that are teaching be positive only, did he? Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide or overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Do God's will, God's way, even if others are not, because you'll get the harvest. They won't be part of the remnant. The harvest is in eternity. But here's the ant. Doesn't have a guide, doesn't have an overseer. And here you are as a Christian. When you see all the world and all the Christians going like they did in Israel, like they did in Elijah's day, like they did in Isaiah's day, and like Jesus saw them in his day going another direction, stay true to the Word of God, stay true to the truth, just stick with it. Because God can strengthen you and give you the power that you need. But have a schedule. If you fail to schedule, you schedule to fail. Have the Bible as a daily part of your reading. Even if we, we give you a Bible schedule, but when you go through that Bible uh, schedule, write things down that he gives you. Write them down every day. If you have a chance to share something that you've read that day, share with others. But think on it. Now look, here at the church, there are so many things that we have. You can't do them all. You can't do them. We've got bus ministry. We've got men's Bible and breakfast. We had that men's prayer meeting on Monday night. We've got Sunday morning prayer for men and women. We've got uh, visitation. We, we, we've got uh, uh, the children's ministries. And besides all of that, there are other things that come up along the line. We've got a lot going. I've got to stay, try to stay in shape just to go, okay? But what I'm saying is this. I don't think any of us can go to all of them 100% of the time. But you can pray about it and say, God, what do you want me to do? And then do it. See, some only come if it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, and they don't come to these extra things. You've got a ladies' Christian fellowship. You've got these other things that are going, and you could go to it, but it's not really convenient. That speaks 
of what is a priority in your life. When you schedule God first, those things become a priority. So I said, you can't do them all. But there are some that you can do. Get involved. Do it for the glory of God. The secret of being part of the remnant is the, in the Bible is to obey, schedule yourself, and, and let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Have a schedule that is certain as you're eating each day and you're going to work each day. Have a schedule to be in the Word of God and in prayer. I got an email today, and I'm going to close with this. It's from Fundamental Broadcasting Network and what they've gone through with the hurricane up there in North Carolina. Talking about the need they needed to have to get back on the air and get things going completely. He said, right now in America, there is a battle for truth and righteousness. Every country is always only one generation from paganism and darkness. Every generation should learn the gospel of Jesus Christ and should teach the word of God. Amazingly, in every generation God has had, uh, had his people. There have been men, women, and young people of deep conviction that have stood and stood tall in their generation for God's truth. Doesn't say they were popular. They stood tall. God has called his people to do his assignments. And those who accept his call will be part of his remnant. Whose side are you on tonight? Let's not make it just some kind of a sentimental statement. A deep heart commitment that's as deep and as committed as a marriage. Where do you stand? Let's bow our heads, please.